When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala. I know just too dang much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. With me, as always, is my co-host. She also knows a lot about the Rock Hall, but it is uh, against her will, you might say. It's Kristen (laughs) Stuttered. Hi, Kristen. Yes, still being held hostage by this podcast after all these years. (laughs) But you know, I don't feel too much guilt about it because I feel like we've been having fun shows recently. I would say we've never not had a... well. Okay, Joe. Had a fun show, and I think we're. I think it's a fun hostage situation, is what I'm getting at. I have true Stockholm syndrome now. Yes, (laughs) Kristen, you know what it is. It's early in June, Lince. It's very. Oh my god! I truly forgot. Like literally until you said that. It's it's a exciting themed month for us. All June, we will be going through the early influence category. And of course, I am, I want to reiterate, calling it early in June lens because it is a, a smooth and perfect fun. Uh, oh, and so we went, we went through the history. Just rolls right of, off the tongue. We went through the history of the category last week. And there are three early influence inductees this year. And I am so excited to get into one of them on this episode this week, Charlie Patton, the true early influence when we look at the crew of of people being inducted in that category this year. And we've got a great guest with us today who I think is a perfect person to talk to about Charlie Patton. He's the front man of the group Rev Patton's Big Damn Band. Uh, Their album Dance Songs for Hard Times is out right now. Went to number one on the blues charts. So happy to have him. It's Rev Payton. Hi, Rev. Hey, how's it going? Good, good, I'm good. Very, very happy to be here talking about Charlie Patton, man. He's my number one here. I always say he's my patron saint. And a patron uh, of Payton. Yeah, yeah. Pat- Payton's Patton. a patron of Payton. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, mean, I, I did an entire record of just uh, Charlie Patton songs a few years back, and uh, I mean, I just I, I love him. I've been kind of like out in the world for my entire musical career like proselytizing like a baptist minister about how more people should should be uh, paying attention to charlie Patton and, and and why actually he might be the most important figure in american music history incredible and i say that that's that's a bold statement 
Sure. And, but I've never had anybody that I, that I have discussed this with come back and disagree. So I'm excited to get. Ooh, you're going to get a bunch of new converts this time. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to get into it. And uh, uh, Joe, you just got to promise, man, not to do that Forrest Gump impression, man. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I will. I will keep that to the, the videos that will not uh, transfer to, to the podcast. But if you're listening right now and you're interested in hearing that Forrest Gump impression, you, of course, can check out. Quazala on Amazon Prime. No, I checked out, oh, I checked no. out Joe's uh, sketch comedy show, and it is hilarious. I loved it. I, well, thank I, I, you. Know we don't usually get a. We plug don't really talk about it that often, guys. and we should talk about it more. I. Oh, you should, man. Thank you. That's that's so nice. What are we here for if, if not to promote our stuff? Who's going to do it if we don't? God bless you. Yes, <laughs> that is true. That is true. But let's uh, let's start off talking about in general, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which for a lot of people exists on the periphery. It's not something that a lot of people pay too much close attention to, but you know, it, it rears its head in the news a few times a year. And you're a musician, and I'm curious, coming into the show, what your level of reference is for this institution? Well, uh, we've, I've been there you know, a handful of times, you know, enjoy it. I, I play music. I have played, I've been you know, a professional musician in some form or another since I was 13 years old. Uh, so you know, music's a big part of my life. And, you know, sometimes I forget that that's not the case for everybody that, you know, some people are, uh, they just enjoy music and they're like, whatever's back there, they're listening to it, but it's not every aspect of their being. They're not mm-hmm. insane about it. I'm yeah. insane about it. And, I, and, I, mm-hmm. and especially the history of it. So from a historical standpoint, anything that is, you know, sort of a museum, like I have a very great appreciation for. So uh, I also love the timelines of things, right? So timelines mm-hmm. are, uh, in terms of American music, is something that, that very much interests me. Who influences who? You know, where? how do we get from A to B, right? Mm-hmm. How do we get there? Whose musical influence? What sort of genre is influence? Where do we get you know, to this point? It's a, it's a weird thing, man, but I, I've, I've been kind of into that since I was 12 years old and I started playing music. You know, that's how I, I sort of got into playing the country blues that I play is because my dad would, would be into, he was always into uh, Johnny Winter, Alvin mm-hmm. Lee, The Stones, you know, stuff, very blues-influenced mm-hmm. rock and roll stuff or, you know, very sort of, uh, I guess, rock-tinged blues, you know, it's a, either way. You know, like Johnny Winter, for instance, right? Johnny Winter, he was really the person that kind of brought me like that direct link back to Charlie Patton, right? Because mm-hmm. you're, only, you're only a couple degrees from Charlie Patton at Johnny Winter. Johnny Winter loved Muddy Waters. Muddy Waters loved Charlie Patton. And boom, there you are. You're Two already degrees. Back there, <laughs> yeah. Right? Didn't take too long. <laughs> you know, so it, it, when I first heard Charlie's music, I think that might have been... I mean, I don't know if, if if anyone's music ever just hit me as hard as Charlie's did the first time I heard it. I mean, mm-hmm. otherworldly. It felt like I was listening, you know, back in time, like close to the root of not just, you know, music or American music or blues or rock and roll, but almost like closer to the root of everything. I yeah. told you, I'm making a bunch of bold statements. That's what I do. <laughs> I make bold statements, then I then I either back them up or I fail. But most people at least know they don't let me know that. Not to my face, anyway. But uh, yeah, anyway, I, I uh, you know I, Charlie Patton was someone that sort of like you know he's he's the beginning, he's the root. So, mm-hmm. but all history, I mean, all all, all music history. I love uh, like comparing you know people's ages. You know, I mean, did mm-hmm. you know that Howlin' Wolf is was a year older, older than, than Robert Johnson? Robert Johnson. We actually we talked about that last week. Last week, yeah. You know, we went through the timeline. They think, oh well, you know, Howlin' Wolf came. Way later, it's like Howlin' Wolf's older. Howlin' mm-hmm. Wolf said it before Robert Johnson was. You know, yeah, you forget that 
because of when, you know, obviously Robert Johnson died at, at 27. And then also you saw Howlin' Wolf on TV. You see, you know, the Rolling Stones right. presenting them on Shindig. And so you connect them with different eras, but then mm-hmm. you can forget how old they actually were. And the, the Rock Hall, I think, does a good job. If you're someone who doesn't know anything about music history, it is a great resource, at the very least, to get you started, which I think is a, kind of a service that the institution provides. And, you know, you're saying, you know, that you like the timeline aspect of rock history and music history and whatnot. The hall is very all over the place with regard to that, but it is an interesting way to learn about different people who have influenced and who came before and stuff like that. But then there is always this like, okay, this band is in and this one isn't. It seems like there's always controversy in that way. You know, so playing like, that band's not rock and roll enough or that band hasn't been around long enough or mm-hmm. I just don't think that band's worthy. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, like, that's a, the Rock Hall of Fame definitely elicits a ton of that kind of stuff on the internet. I mean, not that the internet itself doesn't just <laughs> bring that. Bring yeah. But yeah. Early influence artists that are, are usually inducted sometimes can do that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I'm, mean, look at it's 2021 and Charlie Patton is just getting inducted this year. To me, that is outrageous, right? It's uh, yeah. but but it's it's not the Rock Hall of Fame's fault. It is just our culture, our society never really respected Charlie in the way that he deserves. And oh no, you can blame the Rock Hall. You don't have right. to. You, <laughs> you, can, you can. I do uh, yeah. regularly. It's their fault. They're they're in charge. They decide who gets in, and they they are just getting to it right now. You'd be amazed. I travel around the world. You'd be amazed. I talk to musicians. I talk to people that should know better. And I bring up Charlie Patton. They're, they're just like blank stare, like slobber. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's it's that's not an uncommon response. I don't know. I feel like it's uh, it, it, that's why I, I bring up Charlie so much to in, in so many different places. You know, because he is uh, he's he's very important. And for the naysayers out there, because I know that there are going to be naysayers to think, well, Charlie, he does. You know, why is he being inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? He's not this. He's not this enough. Or he's not that. Or who is that? Charlie is the absolute root of them all. I mean, almost everything we know as American music would be completely different if that man had never existed. And yeah. it's uh, it, the one, the, the big problem. And the, and, and I think it, it goes to the, the, the core of just in terms of our knowledge and is, is that his recordings are rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're talking about recording technology that was antiquated for 1929. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Yeah. To give you an idea. He recorded on technology that was considered antiquated by 1929. So mm-hmm. when, by the time Robert Johnson records, they're cutting them to, uh, to aluminum discs. They still have the original Robert Johnson masters. Right, the yeah. Aluminum mm-hmm. disc masters to all of Robert Johnson's stuff, we still have it. Everything that we have from Charlie Patton exists only in people's private 78 record collections. That's it. All of the original masters were cut to wax cylinder and they were promptly destroyed. So, right. you know, I mean, it, it, to our to our modern, I always say pop damaged ears, you know, listening to things that have been so digitally fixed. You know, you go back and listen to Charlie Patton and it can be a shock to the senses. My question about that is, though, just speaking of our modern age and our modern sensibilities, is there a way to clean it up? To like, really, I mean, like, and I mean, like, clean it up, clean it up, make it sound, ooh, that's nice, you know. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you on some bad news. What you hear 
has been cleaned up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. Bad news is that there are people whose their only job in the world, the only thing that they do on this planet, they exist to clean that kind of stuff up. And they use all of the modern advances that are available. And they use their trained ear. And they use, you know, any anything they can. What you are hearing has been cleaned up. And this is you know, the are, best are, that modern technology has to offer. It is. It's the best. And and some of them exist. Like you can get Charlie, like I have everything that Charlie Patton ever, you know, released, at least the digital version. I, I don't I don't possess a, a, a Charlie Patton 78, though someday I want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I when I was uh a teenager you could get one for like 300 bucks but i didn't have 300 bucks then and now that i am an adult uh and have been you know studying and playing charlie patton's music and loving charlie patton my whole life now they're way outrageous they're incredibly expensive because to 78 record collectors it's very much a it's like a holy grail you know it's Mm -hmm. very important to the to those that that know but charlie's music a lot of the stuff that we have on even some of charlie patton's records is almost unlistenable they're there almost as a historical record so you can go and listen and, and imagine almost what it would have been like because you're hearing so much damage because you know these 78 records man they they were like in someone's attic right someone mm-hmm. bought 78s and then as music progresses which as we know it happens fast you know six months now and something's stale and old so mm-hmm. you know you get someone's like oh it's some old blues records i'm just gonna throw them in the corner or throw them in the trash there are a ton of charlie Patton songs that were recorded at least a handful that we we still haven't found the 78 like it could be in someone's attic we know we have lists of songs that he recorded mm-hmm. and the 78s have never been found we oh, know wow. that they're made we know they're printed but it was the niche market even back then a, a, a successful record in 1929 1930 31 32 we're talking just a few thousand records was a very huge success right and there was only so many people that had phonograph machines so it, it was uh, it was mainly a thing for people that had money. It, it wasn't necessarily attainable to just everybody because a phonograph machine was a giant piece of furniture. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, let, well, let's get this giant piece of furniture in our house. And that's why Charlie Patton ended up recording at essentially a piano factory furniture place because that was who they started making phonograph machines. And in order to sell phonograph machines, this big contraption, this big piece of furniture, they mm-hmm. have to have product. So they started recording there, yeah. the people themselves <laughs> so they could have records to sell them. It's so funny to think that, you know, now there, there's an entire music industry that's set up aside from everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be, it'd be like if, if in a way, uh, if Apple, they want to sell you an iPhone, but there's no music. So they go out and they start, you know, commissioning music. Label. Yeah, I love that idea that it's like, like <laughs> records started happening because there were record players. Um, (laughs) Also, it's interesting that it's been this moneyed class thing. You know, it still is now. So even when you were a teen, it was still a collector's item. And way back when it was only those who had phonographs could have the the records. And then it's kind of stayed in this small echelon of people who can afford to like be in the know about it. It's really I feel like this is something a subreddit could get into. I'm sure there's some sort of like blues Reddit thread. That's like definitely is. out there searching. Yeah, you can yeah. Get I'll tell you a little bit some about someone talk some music history. Like so, Robert Johnson. A lot of time in people's minds, you know, they say Robert Johnson's like the root of you know the blues, the beginning, the king of the Delta blues. Robert Johnson. And I'm not mm-hmm. trying to knock Robert Johnson. I don't want to be flamed by Robert Johnson fans. I myself mm-hmm. am a huge Robert Johnson fan. Don't get me wrong, but just Robert Johnson was a generation after Charlie. Right. By the time right. Robert Johnson recorded, Charlie Patton had traveled the united states 
He had become a success. He was a, a household name in the Mississippi Delta. He had recorded and died before Robert Johnson ever recorded a note. So, you know, like the timeline of things gets messed up. And with, with Charlie in that, in, in terms of all that, you know, you get, well, for here's, it's, it's almost 78. So I'll go, I'll, I'll do it like this. So Charlie Patton was the last generation of musician in the United States that didn't learn from the records. Mm -hmm. All right. He learned yeah. only person to person. Once it got to Robert Johnson, Robert Johnson had a collection of 78s that he traveled mm -hmm. with, which I can't, I was just think about Robert Johnson traveling with a heavy, those, those 78s are so heavy, yeah. you know, 10 yeah. of them. <laughs> it, I mean, they're, they're, they weigh more than a pound a piece. So like, Oh my God. With, and David Honeyboy Edwards told me, and you know, David Honeyboy Edwards blues man, he was there the night Robert Johnson died. So, you know, we're only, we're, this stuff isn't like distant past. It's very recent past, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. uh, so, Honey Boy told me that Robert Johnson was always trying to find women to hook up with that were that worked in the kitchens of white folks because they had more money and could afford phonograph machines. And he was always trying to find someone with the machine to play the record so he could study. Wow. wow. Isn't that wild? <laughs> Truly. You know, don't think about that kind of stuff. Right. But Robert Johnson, I always think about it, he was he was just like me. He was just a fan of, of these guys. And like people, like it always like annoyed me when people say like, oh, he, like that, the legend, he sold his soul to the devil to be so good. No, Robert Johnson did not sell his soul to the devil. He practiced and he studied and he loved it. Mm -hmm. And it was passion and tenacity and innate ability. That, that's why Robert Johnson was so good. It had nothing to do with the devil. It had a lot mm -hmm. more to do with the fact that he could listen to Charlie Patton on 78. Yes. He could listen to Skip James on 78. Mm -hmm. He could listen to Scrapper Blackwell and Leroy Carr on 78. And you can go through all of Robert Johnson's catalog. And I could tell you each song, you know, which 78 record he had that influenced that song. Uh -huh. And, he, you know, he did his own way. He pulled his own thing into it. He, he definitely was his own person. But you can hear the influence very directly, right? Just mm -hmm. absolutely very directly. It's right there. Well, well, Charlie didn't have that benefit. He was among the first blues men to be recorded. And the biggest star of the era, sometimes the Texas uh, argument is Blind Lemon Jefferson was a star at the same time as well. But in terms of the Mississippi Delta, where there was a lot more of this happening, where it really was kind of coming from, you know, Charlie Patton was the star at the time. Mm -hmm. He was he was it. And he traveled with a Gibson guitar in a hard case. And that alone should tell you that he was making money because, you know, at that time, if you had a guitar, you were lucky. And if you did, it was going to be a Kalamazoo or from the Sears and Roebuck catalog. And you carried it around the sack. And he mm -hmm. had a Gibson in a hard case. And there is also uh, it's kind of legend. It's not necessarily uh, confirmed by any real historical record. But I have been told by people with knowledge firsthand that he at one time had his own car. Well, all right, oh, then. What year is this that he's? Well, but so Charlie Patton was born. Most historians say 1891, but it's very possible it's 1887. He first recorded in 1929. So at that point he's a you know an elder blues man he had already been traveling <laughs> around and was a star before he ever recorded mm -hmm. you know and, and this is uh, this is how this would work right so charlie Patton was born on dockery plantation which is uh you know one of the big it, at the time it was one of the biggest plantations in the mississippi delta it was a massive plantation it, an incredible farm i mean like i mean like nothing that you really see east of the mississippi anymore you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a massive massive farm it had no road going to it so you to leave, you had to go through the woods on foot or by mule or something. There was no road. 
you know, people think like the, like the concept of a place not having a road going to it is almost foreign to our modern selves because, you know, the roads in this country have been so maintained for so long. Mm-hmm. But when Charlie Patton grew up on Dock Green Farm, there was no road going to it. So you're talking about an isolated people, about as isolated as, as you can get in the United States. You know, these are people that, you know, they're, they're, they're technically at this time, let's put quotations, free, right? Sure. Big, fat quotations. But they're paid, they can choose between money or dockery money. The dockery money gave you a little bit more clout at the commissary, but it also wasn't good to be spent anywhere else. So it, it helped yeah. keep you there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To escape, you had to basically just to decide to go out on foot. At some point, they brought a train in so they, they could get goods and, and, and you know, bring out you know, his own product and get different wares and goods that they needed. But when Charlie Patton was growing up, no road. So here's a guy born on a plantation in the Mississippi Delta in 18, either 1887 or most, most likely 1891. And he is able to, at one point, have his own car. Yeah, wow. And this is, this is without really any kind of like record royalties because there wasn't any you know when they when they made these recordings at the time they were handed a, a, a small fee it was kind of like okay i'll give you 10 bucks and we're gonna record this song and i was like well okay i'm singing songs anyway so i might as well sing in front of this can get my 10 mm-hmm. bucks be on the way so that was how it worked it wasn't royalties so he made money by people pitching coins at him at train stations. So like what he would do is this is how it would work it's really incredible right it's amazing these blues men would travel around and they'd go to train stations in the big towns, or they would go to like the, the commissary at a plantation, but usually at a, at a train station or some such, and they would just start playing, just busking. Mm-hmm. And then as people go by, they'd be telling people, okay, on Saturday night, this is the plantation where the party's going to be. Mm-hmm. So they would just by word of mouth be like, oh, Charlie Patton's in town. Because at the time you had to work six and a half days a week. You got a half day off. You on know, Sunday. a regular schedule. Just, <laughs> just if, you're, if you work hard, you know, you, you just save your money. You're going to yeah, be you can bootstrap on out of there. That's all it <laughs> takes six and a half in that half day off. Then you do your dreaming. That's right. Oh. Yeah. So the only time they could actually really cut loose was Saturday night because they could get the half day off the next day. So the, on Saturday night, what would happen? And, you know, this is it's, it's amazing to me to think this, but you know, the Mississippi Delta is one of the flattest places on planet Earth. People don't realize that. I am from the Midwest and I did not know that. Yeah, the Midwest <laughs> way, way hilly compared. Like all the Midwest is way hilly compared to the Delta. It's uh, flat like the salt flats. And it's from years of the Mississippi River flooding and mm-hmm. pulling that. It's kind of shaping it flat, flat, flat. So when, uh, when they first came in, uh, there, were, there were a lot of trees, but they burnt all those down. So, you know, you could see for, you still can, you can see for miles. So uh, they would pick a house, right? This was going to be the juke house, all right? Some house on the, on the plantation, one of the shotgun shacks, you know, they would em- empty it out, set it up for a party. Someone would be you know, they Maybe they had, uh, you know, some bootleg alcohol they're selling. Maybe someone's selling some food they made. And then they take these big mirrors, giant mirrors, and they aim them at the windows of the shotgun shack. And they have big lanterns they would put in front of the mirrors. And because it's so flat, you could see for, for, for so far away, it would shine the light up, just reflect it off mirrors. And then people knew that was where the party was on the plantation. Just like a car dealership. <laughs> like a car dealership, exactly. And then so a, a fellow like Charlie Patton, he would travel around to different plantations in the area and do just that. And then by people just flipping coins because you had a you know, your, your hat out or, or a jar or something, he was able to make a living. Now, Charlie also had a, uh, a, a unique ability to where he blend in is not the right word. I think be accepted at 
at, at various other locales. So he would have, he would be invited to play inside maybe the, the plantation owner's house. For mm. He would be invited to play music on the Indian reservation. He was uh, someone of, of mixed racial background. So mm-hmm. because of that, I think it helped him to sort of, you know, blend in is not the right word. You know, if you're born on a plantation as a black man, you don't blend in mm-hmm. inside the, the the plantation owner's home necessarily. You don't blend in, but you are, but he was It accepted. helped him gain entry, you know? Exactly. Yeah. There's only one picture of Charlie Patton. You know, his, his hair is very nicely combed and he seems almost gentlemanly, right? And his heritage is, you know, they don't know, but they think it's a mix of white, black, likely Choctaw, like That's that right, he is, Choctaw. is native ancestry. He believed it anyway. Right. And you can, you can hear that influence in his music for sure. Yeah, I think so too. There are some of the, the Chapman family, uh, they were the Mississippi Sheets, they, the, the music of the Mississippi Sheets, the, the Chapmans were very influential family. And likely Chapman family and Charlie Patton shared a biological father. Mm-hmm. That is the accepted belief amongst most blues historians. They look so much alike. It is very, mm-hmm. very tough to imagine that's not the case. I've always thought that as far as the Chapmans go, if you want to maybe have an, another idea of what Charlie may have looked like other than the one photograph that we have, <laughs> the Chapmans who are likely his half brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, that photograph, there's an awesome story about the photograph. The one photo we have of Charlie Patton. For the longest time, it was just a portrait of his face. All we had was very close up of just his face. Mm-hmm. And it had been cut out of something else. So for years and years and years, all we had was that. We had his head. Well, a few years back, in a dumpster, someone's digging through a dumpster and they find Don't you all dare. Don't you dare. They, fi- they found the original photo that from that, it was a, a you know, the, the photograph that was taken, like the record promotion photograph. That photo was found in a dumpster uh, with a bunch of other um, important historical stuff from the, the era. So we know what, what Charlie looked like in terms of, you know, his, his, his body. He was a, a very small person, very, you know, short in stature, you know, slightly built. In terms of the way he, uh, he came across, though, you never hear anybody talk about him necessarily being a small man. In fact, the way he was described by Howlin' Wolf, Pop Staples, pretty much anybody that, that knew him, all the, every historical account that I have ever heard. And you know, David Honeyboy Edwards, who you know, was my friend who told me a, a handful of stories about Charlie, He's, he described him the same way without any sort of prompting on my part. They all said the same thing. He was a great man. That's what they all said. Mm-hmm. And, and like, so what does that mean, a great man? Like, they didn't say man, I loved him. He was a you know, hero or he was this or he was that. They all said Charlie was a great man. And I, I, that always stuck with me. It's like, I wonder, you know, what exactly, like, I wish I could get in more depth and go on from there. But I, I think it just stems from this. Here's a guy who grew up in some pretty rough conditions mm-hmm. and he is able to find a way out. He's the first real professional musician to come from that sort of era and that place. He did it. All mm-hmm. the other professional musicians that followed in those footsteps, wanting to play music like that, to travel around and have their own car and play a nice Gibson in a hard case. Mm-hmm. All those people that came after that, they were all just trying to emulate Charlie Patton. 
both musically and just in his, I think, in his life. You know, here's a guy that he is the great man. He's the one that, that was able to make it out. I think it's so interesting how you were saying everybody knows about Robert Johnson, but Robert Johnson is someone who was able to learn from record. He was able to listen to musicians who he didn't see live and he was able to listen to them over and over again, if he could get into the right house, it sounds like, you know, but that, that he was able to study other musicians and that what makes Charlie Patton so unique and special and deserving is that he was doing it on his own. It, you're such a great resource because you have all these incredible stories. It just reminds you so much of how important recordings are in any way, shape or form, like video recordings, audio recordings, written accounts that is the thing that will live on everyone's memory of you will be that one photograph that that we have of you now or this one recording that we have that sounds like you know it's recorded you know under an overpass uh, and through a tin can but what has helped so many people who came after him was that the advancement in recording and stuff and so we really are getting into like the earliest of the early influences i mean i'm sure beyond that then there were people you know then you get all the way back into kind of just like where did music come from and all of yeah. that which well, is like, like a, lot of, a lot of big charlie Patton nerds will argue uh that charlie Patton shouldn't get it's, it's henry sloan who taught charlie Patton. Really. <laughs> well henry sloan did not record or travel he was not an itinerant blues man he was a musician a Dockery Farm that taught a lot of people because mm-hmm. there, there was a thing happening, right? I mean, it's one of the, the, I don't know, it's the unique thing about being isolated. You know, when we now in our, in our society, we have such a shared culture because we're all watching the same Netflix. We're all getting the same news. We're all, you know, even like local dialect is starting to change in, in around mm-hmm. this country because everybody's sort of around the same stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at that time, you have a very isolated culture. I'll tell you, this is a great way. I love to explain this to kind of talk about you know, the history of American music. So you have people in, on a plantation. They have been isolated. As far as, a, as American culture is concerned, it's hard to say how much of the outside world is even let in. There isn't a road. There's no road. (laughs) There's newspapers that are passed around. I mean, you know, maybe someone has, you know, radio, but who had radio? Like, I mean, it's just, it's very isolated, right? So what you have then before recorded music is you have an oral tradition and you have that music that's passed down person to person. Well, blues itself, especially the early stuff, Charlie Patton, you know, the earliest recorded stuff has, has a very, very West African influence to it. The pentatonic scale that you learn at your local guitar shop will not get you to Charlie Patton. The, uh, and it's because many of the notes Charlie Patton played would not have been chromatic, meaning they wouldn't have been at the, uh, you know, if you take a, a regular fretted guitar and you just hit the note that the European chromatic scale it decides it, what it is, that wouldn't get you to some of the songs and the melodies that were passed down through time. So they would have to bend the strings to match the vocal phrasing that had been passed down. Now, blues itself, if I were to play you some Senegalese music, folk music, and I were to play you, you know, the Charlie Patton, you'd hear the similarities, but you'd go, well, that's not the same. Well, no, it's not. There's an influence of a, a, a lot of Celtic music has come in and brought it. The Where blues is like, with like with triplets and things, like it's real easy to hear with the triplets. It's not all, it's kind of a cliche, but the, the na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, you know, that, that right there actually it is born of 
have a lot of Celtic music. You know, if you do it faster, you dance a jig, right? It's a jig, yeah. That's from that. So one story I love is the story of the resonator guitar in American history. Actually, Rev, you know what? Can I stop you right there? Let's do a, this is actually a perfect moment for us to do a bit of a tease, which is something we've never done before. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll talk more Charlie Patton with Rev Payton. And we'll also get the story of the resonator guitar. So we'll be right back. Uh, Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, Kristen... Oh, that you um, that you remembered something that you used to do in the before times that you look forward to doing again. Yeah, a hopeful thought. Okay, so Rev, we were just about to do the story of the resonator guitar. All right, the resonator guitar. So so closely linked with the early blues, the resonator guitar. So you have the Dapira brothers. They're Czech immigrants. They've come to the United States with this idea that at the time in the early 1900s, that one of the biggest things going was Hawaiian music in America, right? <laughs> Everybody wanted to play Hawaiian music. We've kind of forgotten this. It was such a fad. That's why all those resonator guitars from the era of the Nationals have those uh, Hawaiian scenes painted on them. You know, every <laughs> 1920s guitar has a palm tree on it. It's because everybody was wanting to play Hawaiian music. It was a craze. It was, a, it was the biggest thing going. It's so funny. I always associate that with like the '60s, the the Hawaiian craze of the '60s. It was 60s. definitely a, a craze of mm-hmm. '60s. But it was nothing like what it was in the tens and twenties. It was everybody wanted to do everything Hawaiian. So you go back to the Pira Brothers. They they they've got this machine that they think is going to be great for playing slide on because it's loud. It can cut through. You know, the resonator guitar works in a very similar way that a speaker does, right? Like mm-hmm. you're instead of a, like the uh, electricity vibrating the speaker cone, the strings of the guitar actually vibrate a very thin aluminum cone, and, it, and they're ten times they should be anyway if they're if they're if they're set up right. They should be ten times louder than a regular acoustic guitar. It's a, it was a great improvement. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the electric guitar was invented like three years later, so it was <laughs> a small hated. But these Czech immigrants they come to America with this idea to help Americans play Hawaiian music, right? Well, then you have some these fellas that are very isolated on a plantation in the Mississippi Delta, and they have this oral tradition that is very heavily influenced by the different African melodies that have been passed down through time, and influenced by the Celtic musicians that were coming, and and they're they're playing European instruments, but they can't quite always get to the notes. Well, with slide you can because you can play in between those friends, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So they adopt this this machine that essentially was designed to play Hawaiian music by some Czech immigrants. So they can play these very, very West African tinged melodies that uh, have, you know, that they are, are sort of in their, in their, on their heart and in their soul, right? Mm-hmm. So they start playing this way. And is now there's this, there's, there's this genre of music that starts to grow out of this. But that entire, the, like the, the slide guitar, as we know it, were people emulating Hawaiian musicians. Hank Sr., all of the, the pedal steel back there, mm-hmm. that was, I mean, imagine that that was like someone putting on um, like a crazy auto-tune. It was a fad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a fad. And now we don't, we think of country music as 100% being that, right? Like they, uh-huh. you can't imagine it without that. Well, you can't imagine country music without the influence of some of these West African melodies too, because it's, it's so born of it all. Hank senior learned to play from a, a, a man who was a disciple of Charlie Patton. 
I mean, where would we be without there Hank Smith? You go. Rev, you go. I can be quite cynical about the state of the world in a lot of ways and things, but I'm also prone to flights of optimism. And you've really struck a very beautiful chord in the telling of that. It's like the ideal that we want to believe America is and can be, where it's like, we just take the best of everything and we put it together and everyone's learning from everyone. And there is no true origin because it all came from, from you know, there was crossover <laughs> yeah. and it was, the, it's like beautiful in the telling of it, you know, you're well, making you, me a believer. What, what you have to do, in, in my opinion, and you know, everyone's got opinions, right? is I think that that is beautiful. But you just have to, in telling that story, you cannot forget the hardships that, you know, some Czech immigrants would have to go through dealing with being Czech immigrants in the United mm -hmm. States. You cannot forget, we cannot tell the story without talking about Charlie Patton growing up on a plantation with no road to it, being paid in dockery money. Mm -hmm. You know, and the, and the dockery family like that exists now, like I've, I've been I've given private tours at the dockery farm there. They, you know, try to be stewards of it and they are uh, definitely Charlie Patton fans and historians and they, you know, they, they, they work hard to, to tell that story. You cannot tell the story without talking about these folks were first brought there and made to work. Mm -hmm. And then when they're like, okay, you can go, where are they going to go without any money or road or anything? Right. Yeah, there's right. no, there's nowhere for them to go. So like Charlie Patton, him being able to escape is not just a story of like, man, he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. Mm -hmm. It's not that he did an entirely new thing. Like the concept of being a blues man that could travel around and make enough money to live, having mm -hmm. coins thrown at you was new. And that's yep. why I think Charlie Patton deserves so much credit from someone like Henry Sloan who taught him. We don't know what Henry Sloan sounded like. We don't know how, where, how far Charlie Patton took it. We have no idea. Mm -hmm. But we do know that Charlie Patton was a person of very small stature who could be heard for hundreds of yards across a Mississippi cotton field. And, you know, people would come from all around to hear him play. We know that he was able to influence Muddy Waters directly, Howlin' Wolf, Pop Staples, Robert Johnson, you know, you name it. You start naming all the blues men you've ever heard of. Mm -hmm. Every mm -hmm. one of them was influenced directly by Charlie yeah. Patton. They all wanted to be Charlie. That's an imp that's an important distinction. It's not just the records, but the people you mentioned, it was direct. All those guys came through Dockery at, at one point. And and, and lived, lived there. Callum Wolf lived there. Pop yeah. Staples lived there. They were learning from him face-to-face. -face. Like Literally, it, you know. directly. You know, Callum yeah. Wolf saw... Charlie Patton and saw that and was like, I want to play guitar. I want to be him. That is, yeah. And, and listen, go back, listen to Charlie singing and tell me that Howlin' Wolf didn't, you know, his, his vocal style wasn't the, at first his way to almost emulate what Charlie was doing. I mean, it's, it's direct. And, yeah. and the problem is it's not necessarily just the recorded music. Like after Charlie, the influence became recorded more than it was face to face. So we have a really great record of it. We know like Robert Johnson and his mm -hmm. influence, we have a record of it. But Robert Johnson's influence actually didn't come really till the 60s. It was revivalist. You've got especially these British guys. They, yeah. They've become obsessed with American music. They've got to know about it. They need the records. Well, they could get Robert Johnson records there. It was mm -hmm. tougher to get Charlie Patton recorded. Yeah, and the Robert Johnson records sound good. They, you know, you they were recorded it, very well. They're clear. They're, they were recorded on, you know, 10 years later, essentially, a mm -hmm. decade later. You know, think about how fast things have moved now a decade. Well, back then, you know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't really that far off. Recording uh, techniques have advanced since that point. Every 10 years, it's just more and more and more and more and more and become easier. I mean, you know, you could make a record on your, on, on your iPhone now. 
Absolutely. You know, I mean, you totally could. So, you know, that's one of the, the changes, one of the differences. And, I, and I, that's what I try to express to people is like, you know, when I'm talking about Charlie Patton being a big influence, like it's not just his his recordings. He was as a man, as a person, as a musician, as a traveling itinerant blues man of that era. He influenced every single one of them. They all wanted to be Charlie Patton. There was no one sitting around going, I want to be Robert Johnson. There wasn't. Robert mm-hmm. Johnson, in fact, like to Sunhouse and some of the people that were you know closer to Charlie's age, they thought Robert Johnson was kind of like a pipsqueak, like an annoying kid. <laughs> and that was where a lot of the Robert Johnson devil legend, that comes from Sunhouse. Because Sunhouse didn't like him and he wanted, you know, RJ wanted to come around and learn how to play and Sunhouse didn't want to teach and didn't, you know, it was just kind of mm-hmm. like Ken Banker told him to go away. He goes away and the next time he sees him, he's good. And he's like, I don't know what happened. That kid must sold, sold the devil. Must something. be the devil. And there you have it. A hundred years later, <laughs> we're <laughs> like. And his, and, de- his yeah. death was, was extraordinary. He's poisoned to death in a juke house one Saturday night. You know, he's got the great legend associated with it, you know? Yeah, those things carry. Those things really, you know, fortify the legend and the the music in a way that when you don't have that, it it can be harder for modern audiences to have something to hook onto, to tell a story. Yeah, Charlie Patton died of a a natural heart condition. He wasn't poisoned like Robert Johnson. Right. Charlie's death was not as as exciting, you know? It's, uh, you know, dying of natural causes, it doesn't, you know... You know, it's not a good screen. It doesn't have that rock and roll lore to it. Unfortunately, a heroin overdose or being poisoned in a bar or stabbed (laughs) to death in Chicago one night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not not as sexy. Um, Rev, I want to know if you remember the very first time you heard Charlie Patton. I do. Was it a profound moment for you? It was. So there's a a blues compilation album called Bottles, Knives, and Steel, and it's all slide guitar. So I was, you know kid learn how to play guitar and you know when you first learn when, you, when someone first teaches you the guitar and you start learning stuff like i learned a lot from my dad just on like chord changes little runs things like that everything is like it's like learning a new language like even an e chord when you're first taught an e chord it feels like the hardest thing in the world you're like well i'm never gonna get this you know? <laughs> right but i was just bound and determined and when i got bottles knives and steel that that album it's a you know it's a compilation of, of, of a bunch of different blues artists all it's, it's all playing slide and every one of those songs spoke to me in a way that music had never done before. But Charlie Patton was chilling. It was haunting. I had to know more about Charlie. And I was already sort of like chasing the, you know, the roots of stuff. And Charlie just kept always coming up. If you start taking American music, especially rock and roll music, and you say, okay, who influenced them? Who influenced them? Who influenced them? Who influenced them? You always get to Charlie Patton. Like there is no one before. There is, no, I mean, it's it, you. Every single one of those lines will take you there. Every single one is whether, and some of these people don't know it. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of these people yeah. that, that now are being inducted in the Rock and Roll of Fame, they may not know themselves that they have a direct line musically back to Charlie Patton. They may mm-hmm. not know it, but if they, but it, I mean, every single person that was influenced by the Rolling Stones directly back to Charlie Patton, like that, that alone. Every single person who has was influenced by Chuck Berry, boom, directly back to Charlie Patton. And that already is a widespread of a lot yeah, of artists. That's, that's you know? so many. Yeah, so everybody nearly everybody, rock, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you cannot play music in this country and not have been influenced by Chuck Berry or the Rolling Stones. I mean, whether you like it or not. I mean, that's one thing about my own music is that I'm, I'm always saying like, look, I've never tried to pretend the last 100 years of music didn't exist because that would be stupid. You know, you're influenced by every single thing that you hear. And, and, it's, and some of it's subconscious. You can't even help it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you hear something and boom, you're it, now it's it's in it's in you now. You can't undo it. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing about culture that I find interesting, right? There's a lot of talk now about culture and what it is and and who who controls it and who has it has access to it. But the thing about culture is it's it's kind of like that Pandora's box. Once it's out, it's out. You can't stop it. You know, a, a, a kid, you know, growing up on in some suburb of, uh, you know, let's say Atlanta, sub. Let's say they're growing up in downtown New York City, growing up in the middle of heart of L.A. They start being influenced by stuff that's on TikTok that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, a kid doesn't really think about it in the context of historical importance, whatever. It just starts influencing what they're into, how they're mm-hmm. dancing, how they're singing, the music they're playing, what they're, how they're, they're, they're dressing, everything. It's all cultured, and, and you cannot undo it. You can't stop it. I think it's important to know where stuff comes from, though. I think not just from a historical standpoint, but I think also, you know, especially if you are a fan of music at all, you should know the roots of music. You should know where it comes from. Uh, you should know why we are here. And I think that also gives a better understanding. You, Kristen, you were talking earlier about the this, the, the beautiful story, like of the, of the resonator guitar. I think it is a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's 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 one reason I tell it. I think it's a very great illustration of of how great we can be in America and how, but it also tells us a great story about how, and, and we got to this way, but we, we, we sort of needed a lot of different parts. We need a little bit from everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And no one exists outside that, you know, culturally or otherwise you cannot, you know, we are all very connected and it's like that fine line, you know, you, 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 I think there is a ton of beauty in it, but also, you know, there's, there's some ugliness, yeah, there's a lot of pain and a lot of ugliness all oh, wrapped up in there. Yeah. And there is a Disney way to tell it. You can wash it however you want to. But at the end of the day, there is a lot of pain wrapped up in there. And there was a ton of there's a terrible truth to being alive and at any time in history. But, you know, and if we don't also throw that in, if we don't also fold that in, then we're not seeing the whole. I'm a very, I'm a person that kind of believes in the yin and yang of, 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 of sort of everything. There are ways to sort of come to the truth and, you know, accept how ugly things have been while also admiring just how beautiful and how great, you know, human beings can be. I mean, music mm-hmm. is, is, is some of the best of us, right? I mean, mm-hmm. are, we think our buildings are monuments. I mean, and, and ants make buildings. They make structures, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there but do are... ants make music? Good question. We've got one over on the ants. Yeah, eat shit <laughs> ants. Art. We make music. <laughs> Not just music. I think art in general yes, is right. really what makes it's us true. human, right? That's the thing that we do that other animals don't. I've seen mm-hmm. horses pick up sticks and use it as a tool to scrape themselves. I've seen a lot of videos of, of apes doing similar, similar things. The thing that they don't do, and that is original art. Mm-hmm. And music is amongst that. Music is actually a very primal form of art. It is a, a very, very early, early form of art. We have um, the first instrument ever found, melodic instrument, was 40,000 years old in a cave in Europe. It was a bone flute, pentatonic scale. Uh, oh. it was, interestingly <laughs> enough, uh, yeah. you know, pentatonic scale like the blues, 40,000 years old. It's made of the bone of an extinct animal. The animal doesn't exist anymore. We ate them all. Yeah, or, or some other we're, we're making flutes. Yeah. We were making flutes. <laughs> we had a lot of flutes to make. Sorry. Yeah, maybe it was. Sorry, whatever. You make a good flute. Sorry imagine, about Imagine, imagine they throw everything else away just to get to the bones. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's that's amazing. So that's that's way before written history. Mm-hmm. That's way before, I mean, there's a ton of, of, you know, different, you know, you get to the archaeological record of how far back, you know, you have to go to sort of start finding what we refer to as culture. But there was music 
before there was modern civilization. Think about that. It's old mm-hmm. and it's in us. And, and you know, like Charlie Patton is, is someone that uh, another sort of interesting thing about his music. A, a lot of times blues purists will say blues is this. It's 12 mm-hmm. bars. It's AAB. It's, you know, there's a certain thing that it blues must be, or if it's not this, it's not blues. Well, Charlie Patton, what, he played whatever he wanted, right? Whatever he was in his heart. Some of it is a very traditional blues. There's his first song he ever recorded, Mississippi Bull Weevil, which is my, I think my favorite Charlie Patton song, is a one chord, very repetitive book. With all the notes that are played, only two are chromatic, the root and the fifth. And everything else is flatted, you know, along very similar to a you know, West African scale. It's one of the reasons I love it. You know, it just, uh, it really speaks to me. It always has. And it, it's a, it's about a, you know, the bull weevil coming in and eating the, the cotton bowls. It was a plague of this insect. And it's this crazy, fast, one chord boogie about an insect plague. You know, it's just, a, I don't know, I love the song. But Also, I just love the title, Mississippi Bull Weevil. That's... It rolls off. Yeah, it does roll really, off. Really, the it's, it's evocative. It makes me, well, <laughs> makes me feel something. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought that up because I'd like to talk about the, the songs that, that Charlie Patton recorded. And, you know, I would like to talk about like what we think are the key significant songs that he recorded. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, some of the, the ones... Uh, like, like high water everywhere about a flood a delta yeah, you know there's there's a lot of those kinds of songs about the natural disasters because when you are a sharecropper and you only make money depending on how much cotton you can produce on the plantation land Mm -hmm. and you're selling it for a very small amount any natural disaster can come in and it will devastate you the profit Mm -hmm. margin is so thin anyway you are very much at the mercy of the elements so there's that right there yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of charlie Patton's songs were just simply about women which is i mean tale as old as time (laughs) forever shall continue to be probably the number one thing everybody's writing songs about right Mm -hmm. So there's, there's the humanity there. Charlie Patton also recorded under a pseudonym a bunch of religious music. You know, they, they couldn't put it out as, uh, as, as Charlie Patton because, you know, you, you didn't mix your religion with your blues. But they did musically, right? You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the religious music influenced the blues music and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, when they were trying to sell the records to people that only wanted the religious music, then it was, you know, they, they couldn't have Charlie Patton's name on it because he was too famous. What what was his name as a... Uh, um... It's a... Elder J.J. Hadley. That's it. Elder, that's right. Elder J.J. Hadley. That's Which right. is not his... It's not his only pseudonym because sometimes he went as the Masked Marvel. That's right. And that's an interesting thing. The Masked Marvel was this. So like this was a, 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 <laughs> uh, this was a really cool thing. So the Masked Marvel, the, the record label, they put out this thing. They're like, okay, we've got this new record by the Masked Marvel. And if you can guess who it is, you could win a, you know, enter to win a prize. So, you know, so everyone would listen and go, oh, that's Charlie Patton. I know who that is. That's got to be Charlie Patton. And then they would, you know, they'd write and try to win their, their prize. It was a big promotion. That was a record label mm-hmm. thing. One of, the, one of the early, you know, sort of, uh, you know. Stunts. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty wild about what, what year is this that they're doing the masked Marvel? 
well, between 1929 and 1934, I forget exactly what what year that took place, but it was uh, it was one of his later recordings, so been closer to, to the 34. I believe. What was what? So there were labels at this point then. Yeah, well, you know, he 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 his you know with the with in terms of record labels, you know, there there absolutely were and Paramount, the Jeanette Records that he did a lot of his stuff on. There was a lot of, of these different little record labels, and and some of them they would have several different. I guess, uh, like labels under their umbrella. And, you know, when you had a black artist, it was a race record. Yes, I have learned about this. So he was, uh, you know, you have a race record. And if you're trying to make music for religious people, then you had to market it a different way, even though it's the same artist singing the same way. Right. It's all about the the target audience. It's all about marketing. They figured that out early on. I mean, that is just wild. You know, the fledgling, the earliest days of the recording industry. And they're like, how can we make some niches? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, let's make make money, you know. So when you've got like like in terms of of, of all of this stuff, right? Charlie Patton's playing songs that sometimes are described as country music. He's playing songs that are earlier than blues. He's playing blues. He's playing religious music. Well, it was the record labels that came in and, and told him, like or or decided how they were going to market it. Right? Charlie was just playing stuff he liked. There was no one before Charlie. There was no one to tell you what was cool or what wasn't. After that, once you get to Robert Johnson, by, by you know, Robert Johnson was told the kinds of songs to sing. They mm-hmm. wanted slower, sadder blues. They said that's what's selling up north. The dance party stuff saved that. They, they only recorded a couple of those from Robert Johnson because they didn't think that's what they were buying up north. So even like Robert Johnson, we only have a, a, a certain lens that's filtered. Mm-hmm. By that time, the record labels had already started to decide what was going to be released. Dang. It's a shame there weren't journalists around, like music journalists around back then to be like Charlie Patton, defying genre, the genre defying <laughs> artist of the Delta. That's right. <laughs> like... uh-huh. Influential. Charlie yeah. Patton. You know, I, I was just going to say, you mentioned Mississippi Bowieville Blues and that kind of that early, you know, that's from his first recording session and i feel like there are other songs from that session the number one and it, you know this is one way to do a metric but charlie Patton is on spotify and the number one song by a, a pretty big margin is down the dirt road blues Then Pony Blues. Pony Blues is very uh, interesting. Pony Blues is probably like, if you want to talk about the early, early style of blues as we know it, Pony Blues is very close to that earliest style, right? Mm -hmm. In my opinion, from what I've researched, if you want to know what Henry Sloan sounded like, Pony Blues is probably going to be closer to what that was about about anything else. Because most of the people that were in Henry Sloan's orbit that ended up coming from that area and that era, they all had something that was very similar to Pony Blues, if not just straight Pony Blues. I think Pony Blues might have actually been a Henry Sloan song. And, and you know, I have no 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 nothing to back that up other than a lifetime of studying it and, and but there's no real historical you know, uh, evidence that we can say, but I, I believe that pony blues also is a very interesting look. Um, pony blues has some, some pretty messed up lyrics in terms of, uh, our, our modern through our modern lens. They're not pretty. There's a, there's one verse in pony blues that is not pretty is, uh, it's not good. 
but it, uh, it just sort of talks about the uh, in in that you can kind of get a look at how racism can come in and, and attach itself to everything, even people who are under its thumb. Yeah. Uh, well, and especially Pony Blues is one. You know, uh, read the lyrics if you can find them on the internet. Listen to it. Uh, a lot of times people can't understand the, the lyrics, but uh, to me, I never, I never had a problem understanding Charlie. I was just always like, I don't know. I never had a problem with it at all. But Tom Russian. There's a there's a, a Charlie Patton song called Tom Russian. It was actually Tom Rushing was his real name, and he was a sheriff. And I actually met uh, Tom Rushing's niece a few years back in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Oh, wow. That was my uncle. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Now, is this a positive song about a sheriff? Oh, she just gave him a hard time, you know? I bet. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would yeah. assume. Because I'm like, I'm trying to imagine a blues song that's like, and my old pal, the sheriff, old pal, the I love sheriff. him. Uh, love, hey, let's hang out. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, Tom Rushing was someone you didn't want to run across when you were uh, uh, drunk and carrying on and fighting and mm -hmm. whatnot. So, uh, that was kind of what it was about. He, and at one point, Charlie Patton got run out of Dockery. He ran afoul of them at some point. They were mad at him. And it was, uh, I think, a, uh, a personal sort of issue that probably would have been resolved eventually had he not died. I'm, I'm trying to think of like what big things and aspects of Charlie Patton that we haven't talked about yet. And I'm thinking about his uh, performance style because he oh. was... That's he was kind perfect. of a he was kind of a wild man on stage. You, know, you touched on like maybe like the, the most important one in terms of influence, right? Charlie Patton, you know, all these people that think they're doing something really fresh and original and cool, all the people that played behind their head, played guitar between their legs, you know, duck walk around. It, Charlie Patton playing with her teeth. He would throw the guitar up in the air, catch it playing. All that stuff that all these people will, will associate with with Hendrix or Chuck Berry or whoever else, right? Mm -hmm. Charlie was doing it before all of them. Now, was Charlie the first one to do it? I don't know, but Charlie was definitely the first one that did it that had recorded. And <laughs> sure. the first one that did it that had been a traveling itinerant blues man who made his living playing blues music. We have no photos, we have no videos, but we have many, many firsthand accounts of seeing him do that. And, and he, he put on a show and when you listen to Charlie, when you like listen to recordings, it's funny because he will like, he'll be playing. And then he'll like in between his singing phrases, he'll talk. He'll just kind of like give this commentary on, on stuff. And, and you can tell that it was very much a rehearsed part of the show. So mm -hmm. yeah, he, Oh, wow. Yeah. Rehearsed banter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the way back then. Yeah, Damn. Just like, just in between like little phrasing, like he would just like kind of say something that you, you knew, like he, when he was doing the song and like, they said, okay, play the song in front of this can. He was just doing it the way he did it live. You know, yeah. you, know, you know, there was no distinction. He's like, oh, this is how I play it. So I, I, I kind of you know, sort of love hearing that kind of, I, I always imagine when he's, he's doing that stuff that when he was, he'd look out at the crowd and maybe give a wink. And, you know, that's kind of how I hear it when I, I hear him play. And kind of like, an if you know, you know, like this is the part where he's going to do this thing and maybe the crowd knows to sing along at that point or whatever. I don't know. I feel like a lot of artists do that now that there's kind of like a call and response part that the true fans know when to do it or like what the thing to, to do is. And he was One of my already doing it. Charlie Patton songs. It's called some of these days. It, 
it's almost it, there's a, another song that was popular called some of these days it was like a pop song of the era it's kind of like almost like a misremembering of how that song went the way charlie did it. it's not that song quite but he kind of come up with his own way of doing it but i love it it's beautiful but he does this thing where he starts off and charlie did this a lot with his songs he would start off one speed very slow and then go faster and faster and faster and faster and faster until it's just almost so fast that it's it's you know it's like some of these days uh, there's it's a couple versions of it and when it when it gets to there's you know, one version he's going so fast it's unbelievable but when he comes to the the turnaround after like the fifth he claps and you hear it he does it on the song and mm-hmm. You know, there's every now and then there's like, you know, different like people argue, is he hitting the guitar? Is he snapping? No, he's clapping. So he's playing right back to it. And and I love that so much. Like I imagine seeing him do that. Like he's there's a there's a crowd watching him mm-hmm. and he's playing the song and now the song's going super fast and he's back to it. You know, I just, I love it. Mm-hmm. People should listen to that and listen for that clap. And I think that really gives you an idea of the show that he's putting on. Well, when, when you mentioned that, like, you know, he has, he's doing percussion on his, on his hands, right? That reminds me that the style of playing for Charlie was almost like a one-man band with just him and his guitar. Oh man, all that fingerstyle country blues stuff that I adore, that I have just like made my entire being is essentially playing two things at once. You know, you're playing a rhythm with your thumbs and you're playing a melody with your fingers and the slide. Mm-hmm. Like when someone first, you first hear that, that, you know, that E chord, you're like, how am I going to do this? And then you hear someone playing two things at once. It like, that, like, how is this even going to be possible? How are we ever going to make our mind do this? You know, and I yeah. just, I, I, I live for it. And Charlie Patton was definitely someone that was really, really good at it. You know, listen to some of these days, listen to Bull Weevil and listen to that rhythm. You know, it's not two guitars, you know, that's one. And it, so- it sounds like it could be multiple, but it, yeah, his style of playing was it's, so it's full. And imagine seeing that. And you got to remember too, man, this is something that we get lost. Like I, I, you go see concerts now, like some of the, like, even like, like classic rock and people are sitting in chairs like they're at the opera, right? Mm-hmm. And like, that is not how this stuff was intended to be enjoyed. Charlie Patton was playing music for people to dance. You know, R.L. Burnside said, blues ain't nothing but dance music. Well, all American music at its core ain't nothing but dance music. It was all intended to get people to dance at first. Country, swing, blues, jazz, bluegrass, rock mm-hmm. and roll. I mean, you name it. All of the American music, all of, of the American genres music were dance music. Charlie mm-hmm. Patton was wanting to play in a wood floor juke house as people milled about and danced and tried to hook up and tried to have a good time and tried to release the pent up energy they had from working six and a half days a week in a cotton field that it wasn't like oh man let's go sit on the porch and and be sad that wasn't what charlie was trying to do he's trying to put on a show he's mm-hmm. playing by his head he's playing between his legs he's clapping all that stuff you know all the things that we associate with putting on a show charlie was doing yeah. it and we only have the one photo to to imagine <laughs> what that could have looked like i want to talk about what we think this induction is going to look like because Ooh. He's he's going to be inducted, and typically the way an induction works is you have someone who gives a speech, and then you have some sort of performance. And obviously, because Charlie Patton's not around, we'll have some sort of tribute performance. Mm-hmm. And they usually try to get like a big marquee name to do the induction speech, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious who we think would be the person to do that my first thought is someone who actually helped to erect a gravestone for Charlie was, Patton. That was going to be my first pick too. John, John Fogarty. Fogarty. Yeah. yeah. John Fogarty seems like someone who 
He knows his stuff. He clearly cares and has invested in re- remembering Charlie's legacy. So he seems like a, I think an obvious, an obvious choice. Yeah, I think so too. I think, I think John Fogarty, it would, it would definitely be my number one pick. Otherwise, uh, Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. Taj Mahal mm-hmm. definitely is someone that did, uh, that knows the importance of uh, Charlie Patton has performed some of his music. And uh, is Taj Mahal in the um, Rock Hall? He's not. Mm. He's not. All right. Well, no. does someone have to be in the hall? No, no, they no, don't. no. I but Chris sometimes, and I'm just curious. And also, I'm like, oh, that could raise his profile. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, sometimes you come up and you you scratch the halls back, and they're giving you a second look. You know, you see your name on the ballot the next year. I think Taj Mahal is an American treasure. You know, I think he is, uh, he's someone to me, like Buddy Guy, Dolly Parton, uh, Del McCurry, Taj Mahal. I think that these are some of our, our sort of uh, musical elders that are national treasures. They're just beautiful people that make very amazing music that has deep roots. So you know, Taj would, would be someone else that I think would be very good. If, if there's going to be a performance, you know, I don't know how big of a ringer they, they try to get. I mean, there's a ton of people that I think could maybe do Charlie justice. It would depend on how they did it. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're gonna, you know, try to get closer to Charlie Patton and 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 how you know his his sort of delivery, then it definitely you know, Taj Mahal would be someone that could could do that uh, better than just about anybody. But you know, it would be it'd be great if it would be someone um, maybe that isn't necessarily 100% associated with Charlie Patton or blues that can maybe help bring Charlie Patton to. Uh, wider audience maybe in, uh, they in, will uh, get john mayer <laughs> the truth is they'll get john mayer um, I, we know because having watched these ceremonies we know who they like to go back to they love I, to bring him in for the blues and i do th- i it would not shock me if they brought in gary clark jr Ooh, now, yeah. okay there we go now you're talking gary clark Ooh, jr. yeah I, which he, feels he's my, he's my dude yeah gary clark jr would be it would be great and uh i i would i would back that fully with all my heart and soul. Yeah, they have, you know, he's he's performed at the ceremony kind of before. I feel like in the last few years, he's really broke through in a way. And, you know, he was performing at the ceremony back in like 2013, 2015. So, yeah, I mean, he's he went on tour with the Rolling Stones. He's had yeah. a big last few years. He's having a, he's having a moment and, and he seems like someone that would that would fit and, you know, is not you know, 70 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I tell you what, though, man, Fogarty, I'll tell you, I've now. Uh, Gary Clark Jr., he puts on a heck of a show, but John Fogarty could keep up. Uh, we, we played with, with John Fogarty, well, the, the last fall before uh, the, the pandemic the hit. The fall uh, before the fall. The fall before the fall. <laughs> and at, at Telluride. And Telluride Blues and Brews is one of the, uh, I think, one of my, it's one of my favorite festivals in the country. It, it sounds fun. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and, and I want to go. Yeah, I'm like. Stevie King played in over 100 countries, and he said that the most beautiful place to play was that, ta- that stage in Telluride. It's uh, it's an incredible place. I want to take my mom there. She like loves the blues. The talent buyer is, in my opinion, has very good taste. Not just because we've played it like seven times. <laughs> it helps. It helps. But uh, sure. folks, we headlined uh, the the night that we played it last. And here's a guy who is uh, way up in his seventies. He's got you know some of his kids in his band now, who are all great. Mm-hmm. And he outperformed all of us. Wow. I mean, he gave us all a run for money. You know, it was incredible. I was really astounded. Whenever you see someone that is old and has been at this a long time, and maybe they should be jaded or they don't care anymore, and they're more interested in, like, maybe, like, their other 
hobby of painting pictures or restoring furniture or whatever they're doing. But when you have a guy that still is 100% on team music and you can tell, it always makes me happy. That's Billy great. Gibbons is another one that would be, I think would be great. Billy Gibbons, I am sure, understands the importance of Charlie Patton and would be able to do a, 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 it all justice. Uh, I'd love to, to, uh, to see that happen as well. Billy Gibbons, another guy who is uh, in, in that same way, a student of music still to this day and a lover of blues. And I, you know, he, I, I could see uh, him doing a very, very good job of as well. Yeah. You know, thinking about the speech, I have a suspicion, and this is just, this is kind of inside rock hall stuff, but they're inducting (laughs) a lot of people this year, you know, in addition to six in the performer category, they're inducting seven side categories. I get the sense that they may fold the induction speech into the package. And I so agree. That you're going to get this little documentary package, which is like a hallmark of the induction ceremony. And you're going to get people like Taj Mahal and John Fogarty and whoever else kind of talking, like almost giving their mm-hmm. own like little mini speeches that's cut throughout performances. And I could very much see that happening. I wonder if we'll even get songs. Like, I think it might be that we just get a package with kind of testimonials and maybe some uh, mostly testimonials because there's not no footage, baby. Um, yeah, <laughs> that one picture yeah. just looked at just several panning, different ways. Ken Burns style. style, exactly. Yeah, maybe they put a sepia tone on it. Uh, it's um, black they do a white of, of Dockery Farm, probably. It's exactly yeah, what it'll exactly. be. Probably, it's it's Dockery and the one photo of Charlie. That's what exactly just back yeah. and forth, and then Taj Mahal in between, John Fogarty in between. <laughs> I think we just uh, solved it. Um, yeah. yeah, I could I very much see that from the rock hall of fame for figuring this out for him that's what i want yeah right we're, we're doing the work ahead of time we still haven't um, gotten our ballots so we're i i do think that a performance could happen and would be cool and i think they're probably deserves to... it i mean i'm just gonna yeah. say right now he deserves it I, no one has ever deserved it more mm-hmm. i mean i'm not i mean i'm not not robert johnson not sister rosetta tharp no one has ever deserved it more than charlie Patton. And, you know, people will argue that I'll argue it to my dying day. I think Charlie Patton is the single most important musical figure in American history. Without Charlie Patton, country music, as we know, would be different. Without Charlie Patton, blues would have been different. Therefore, all of rock and roll would have been different. Without Charlie Patton, music may not have been what it is now. What was popular before Charlie Patton was Hawaiian music, pop banjo music, which is you wouldn't like. (laughs) <laughs> and like big band, right it's 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 not it's not the banjo music you're thinking pop banjo is different so mm-hmm. it, it charlie Patton changed everything before charlie there was everybody was trained everybody that, that you, you knew about that was recorded was had a had a, a train like a pedigree they went to music school they could read music they were they were trained you know charlie Patton was an untrained folk artist essentially you mm-hmm. know and folk art is not just you know, people think of it in terms of like, oh, you got to be playing on your front porch or, you know, like that. No, folk art is just essentially untrained, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All, all art that is trained is like high art, all untrained artists, folk art. He is a folk artist with no training that said that it was able to come in and make it. It may, I mean, like that's, that's just like me, just like the Rolling Stones, just like every artist out there that is an untrained artist trying to make their living doing this. Charlie Patton paved the way. Charlie mm-hmm. Patton inspired 
all of the biggest names in American music history that you ever heard. You know, from Sister, Sister Rosetta Tharp to Muddy Waters to Howlin' Wolf, you name it. If it had not been for Charlie Patton, they, they may have existed, but it would have been different. You know, we don't know. We can't say. You know, our, in our, the world we live in has been wholly influenced by Charlie Patton, sometimes behind the scenes, whether we know it or not. But mm-hmm. it, it, we, we don't know what the world would be like, but I can tell you it would be different. Well, this is impassioned. If he wasn't already getting inducted, this would have been a great yeah. case to, <laughs> to, to put him forward. But it's exciting that he's getting inducted. I, I suspect glad. that they will, if they do a performance, it'll probably just be one song. If you had to pick the one song, Rev, what song would they play? Well, uh, man, it would really greatly depend on the artist, you know. Um, yeah. If it's Gary Clark Jr., mm-hmm. right? If it's Gary Clark Jr., likely. Then uh, I think it should be uh, maybe Pony Blues or High Water Everywhere. You know, one of the, it should be a big hit. You know, right. I think a known. It should be a known song. I mean, um, those, are, those are his two, his two songs that have their own Wikipedia pages. So, yeah, yeah. you know, they're significant it, it enough to, it for that. One of those. It should be one of the big ones. Uh, you know, like me, I love like some obscure stuff. Maybe his gospel stuff some of my favorite, actually. So, <laughs> uh, but I know it should be one of those, uh, you know, even uh, it probably has to be that. Down the Dirt Road. High water everywhere, pony mm-hmm. blues. It has to be one of those three, probably. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if I may make a suggestion for a tribute performance, why not throw Riff Payton in there? Hey. I'm 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 available that day, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and if he's not, he'll make himself available. I will That's make myself right. available. I will do whatever I can. And I I just love Charlie. I love that he's being inducted. I love that it's gonna educate more people. Yeah. I want more people to know about Charlie Patton's life because I think they will then know more about where our music as Americans come has come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everything that we that we know is American music now, from hip hop back to you know, old timey music. You know, every single thing has had his his influence on it, and it's uh, his story is amazing. It's one of uh, unbelievable, like overcoming an unbelievable adversity through just I don't know, just some kind of sheer will. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just it's mm-hmm. unbelievable when you come and you think about it. And it's uh, it's also the story of, of, of America in terms of like all of the warts and and everything that come with it. But also this like beautiful mix of cultures coming together to create something that now I mean, every place I've been, you know, I've, I've been to 45 countries. I've played in 38. Every place I've ever been, the music that they're listening to is American music. I've never been to a place where they weren't listening to American music. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they exist. I've never been one. Yeah. You know, so like I always say, like our chief export is our culture. Absolutely. Right? Yes. And yes. our culture would not exist as we know it, that we don't have a culture outside of, of this with the, with all of these people helping to create this thing that now we have and that we get to uh, bask in the benefits of all of the music that we enjoy, all everything that comes along with it. You know, it's because there were a lot of people that uh, put in a lot of struggle. Yeah. That happened. Absolutely. You know, we, get to, we get to we get to sort of bask in its glory. And I think more people should know where that comes from. And it's not to knock what the, the, uh, the any of it. It's just so that we know and educate. So we know where people how all of us have come from mm-hmm. and how we got here. And I don't think it takes away. You know, you still get to enjoy all the music and still get to bask in it. Just knowing where it comes from does not. Uh, the, 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 like it doesn't. I, I never understood that. Like knowing the the, the, the dark history of stuff doesn't doesn't necessarily crap on where we're at, at least doesn't have to. I I just don't know if you can honestly not have both. If you're going to have an honest discussion about it, you have to talk about both. You have to talk about how this music has, has made all of our lives better. 
and improved it and how this music has influenced the entire world. And you have to, like, but, but in order to know that, I think it's good to know where it came from. For sure. Uh, Rev, I want to thank you so much for joining us. This was a true pleasure. And I want to give you the opportunity to let the people know where they can listen to your music. I mean, where they can get Peyton on Patton and, you know, the, the new album and all that. Peyton on Patton's a little harder to get because uh, the, the original uh, uh, vinyl with the 78 is, uh, is out of print. You can find them every now and then, but you can always listen to everything digitally. We're on, you know, we are, our new record, Dance Songs for Hard Times, is on, is on all the places where you're going to want to be. We've got YouTube videos. They're on Spotify. We're on Apple Music. Uh, BigDamnBand.com. And everything's Big Damn Band. So Instagram, at Big Damn Band. TikTok, at Big Damn Band. You know, Facebook.com slash Big Damn Band. Twitter, at Big Damn Band. It, it's uh, it's we're, we're pretty easy to find. That's Excellent. Good. That, That's great. Joe, is yes. this coming out on Friday? This is coming this out Friday? on Friday. Do you want to sneak great. in a, a plug? Yeah, well, that night I am going to be defending my title as the pop cultured champion, and Jimmy Pardo will be judging as always. And oh, El Jefe from NoFX is one of the contestants. So, okay. I don't know. It's <laughs> gonna be it's gonna be wild. It's gonna be weird. Uh, you can find that all that information at K Stud across all platforms. <laughs> Great. Good. Good to note. Um, and our listeners know that they can follow us at Rock All Pod on Twitter and Instagram. RockAllPod.gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to read that message, you need to designate that somewhere. Otherwise, I'm not going to forward it and she doesn't want to see it. Uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us. And if you're going to do that, five stars only. Anything else would be rude. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Kim for the music. Thank you to Future Rock Legends for being a, a source of information for this community. Thank you to AKG for the microphone. And thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.